Every once in a while growing up, my mom would look at me and she'd say, boy, she'd say, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. Anybody else's mom ever say that? Yeah, like my mom spent 90% of her time building me up. Eric, you can do anything in the world. You're the best ever. Uh, but 10% of the time she needed to bring me down. And she just felt like that was part of her calling as a mom to knock me down a couple pegs every once in a while, right? That there was some kind of gift in that and not thinking too highly of yourself. She recognized that. How many of you, at some point in your life, somebody has said to you, who do you think you are? Uh, it's, there's actually not a question mark at the end of that. Sounds like there is. What they mean is you are not who you think you are. Or more, maybe more specifically, you are less than you think you are. And I don't know about you, but the times I have heard that, I want to prove more than anything, no, I'm not less, I'm more. I'm more than you think. I remember my biggest pet peeve as a kid. Biggest pet peeve as a kid. When I was about, let's say 11, 12, I didn't grow till I was a junior in high school, so I was small for a long time. My biggest pet peeve was when we would go to a restaurant and the waitress would say, okay, I got a couple of menus here. Uh, and let me get a children's menu here and bring that down. You, you want a children's menu, right? I look at her and I'd say, do I look like a, a child to you? And I know what she was thinking in her mind. It was like, well, clearly I grabbed a children's menu. Like clearly, clearly you look that way. I'd say, no, 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 I don't need that. Give me the real menu. And I'd order something off there and I'd stuff the whole thing down my belly just to prove to her I was a man. And she'd come after and she'd say, do you want the check? I'd say, no, give that to my dad. <laughs> I, when I got this job at Highland, I was 24 years old. I was a baby. Okay, I was a baby. And uh, I can remember the feeling of, of coming here and just feeling like I needed to prove I belonged, that I was, I was a real minister. I remember driving first week here, drove to Germantown Methodist Hospital to visit somebody. And at Germantown Methodist, they have a spot outside the entry for clergy, a clergy parking spot, a spot for ministers. And I pull up there and I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> I'll pull in there. And as soon as I pull in, I see myself in the rearview mirror. It occurs to me, there is not a person here who's going to believe I'm a minister. They don't even think I should be driving yet at this point. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to prove that I belong here? You know, in some other uh, churches, ministers wear the clerical collar, that, that white collar right there. In Churches of Christ, we don't have that. One of my buddies, he preaches in another Churches of Christ, he, he got one of those and he keeps it in his glove box. So when he pulls up to the hospital, he just slides it in there and heads in. And I was like, how did you get that? You know what he said? Amazon. <laughs> Amazon's how I got that. You know, so I walk into the hospital, I'm so insecure and I go up to the table and I'm like, you know, can you tell me the room number for so-and-so? I'm their minister. And she looks at me like, right. Right. She tells me the room number. I walk off and she's like, hey, the children's menus are around the corner over there. So just make sure you get one of those on your way. I hate feeling like I need to prove myself. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe some of you have felt that way before. And my mom understood something. Like There is a gift in freeing somebody from the endless cycle of proving yourself over and over again. And some of you know what that's like. There is a gift sometimes 
from just freeing you from that and reminding you who you are and who you're not. All right, come with me to John chapter 1 here. Let me tell you this story. John chapter 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, as you were talking about. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Jump down with me to verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, nope. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, well, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, not the Messiah, not Elijah, nor the prophet? He said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. And he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Like I said earlier, this is a passage that Christians everywhere in the world are reading this morning. It is an assigned passage to read in preparation for Christmas, which is when we think about the coming of Jesus Christ. And yet it's a story about John. Isn't that interesting? It starts... There was a man sent from God whose name was John. But the thing about this story, the more you look at it, what you're going to see is it's a story about John that's not about John, which is just interesting to think about, isn't it? And I think the reason is, if there has ever been a character in history where this is true, it's this, that John is not about John. I just want you to think about that for a second. If you look back at this passage with me, what you're going to see is this story about John. Remember, it starts with, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. This story about John ends up telling us more about who he is not than who he is. It's like, it starts like this. Look, John was not the light. He came only as a witness concerning the light. He is not the light. He is not the Messiah. He is not Elijah. He is not the Lord. He is not the one who is to come. And he is not the worthy one. Imagine going to a funeral. Let's say you go to a funeral for a guy named John. Okay. And at the funeral for the guy named John, the preacher's up there being part of Christian funerals is one of my favorite things. You get to celebrate and honor the life of godly people. And it's the time you talk about all that they are and were. You remember all those things. Imagine you go to a funeral though. The guy doing the sermon, he's like, we're here to celebrate John today. He said, a couple years ago, I went to the doctor. I had this terrible illness. The doctor had to do life-saving surgery. Totally changed my life. I have been forever grateful for that doctor. Of course, that wasn't, that wasn't John. I really don't know what John did for, for work. It'd be weird, wouldn't it? 
We go to this funeral and he's like, you know, I had this teacher change my life, taught me to read, taught thousands of students to read, although that wasn't John. I'm not sure John could even read. Uh, or, hey, John, you know, there's something about being a great dad, a great dad who raises up godly children. I'm so thankful for the men in my life who've raised up godly children and show me what it's like to be a father. Of course, John didn't do that. His kids are the worst. Just look at them. And can you imagine that? Where you, you are intentionally trying to remember a person and all you can do is talk about the things they are not. That's what we have here in John chapter one. John's asked to defend himself. The Pharisees send a delegation to interview him. And apparently the reason is because he's doing some pretty big things, some impressive things. And so they're kind of wondering, this John the Baptist guy, he may be a big deal. So they send these guys to interview John the Baptist. And look at this in verse 20. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. The English doesn't really capture it fully. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. What it means is he didn't waste any time. He didn't stutter. He reiterated the fact as quickly as he could, hey guys, I'm not the Messiah. That's not me. Imagine you were going for a job interview. And this big company, they think, they think you're really it. I mean, maybe they like fly you out on a private jet to meet with the board and all these big wigs. And they're just you know, trying to convince you of all the great package they're gonna offer you here. And finally they come down and they say, what do you think? And you just say, hey, listen, I am not your guy. That's not me. Can you even imagine that? Like that's, that's John the Baptist. In Europe, um, in many of the churches in Europe, there's what's called an altarpiece. So what an altarpiece is, is it's a piece of art that is kind of behind the altar. And these date back to the medieval period when a lot of people couldn't read and you didn't have PowerPoint. And so you wanted a way to tell the story of Jesus. And so you would do that in art. And the art would be in a place in the church everybody could see it. And so in Europe, there's what's known as one of the most famous altarpieces, the Eisenheim altarpiece. And you'll see a glimpse of it here. At the center of the Eisenheim altarpiece is Christ on the cross, which you saw for just a second. It's a pretty gruesome scene of Christ, actually, so we won't focus on it at the moment. But then in the right corner is this guy, John the Baptist. And he's pointing. You see that? In which direction is he pointing? He's pointing back towards Christ on the cross. And so essentially what, what you can imagine is you have all these people worshiping Jesus together and all throughout worship, they're looking at the crucified Christ in the center above all things. And then they kind of get bored and their eyes drift from that to the rest of the picture. And the first place their eyes drift is to the right where there's John the Baptist and he's pointing them back. Like, no, 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 look back at him. It's not me. Look back at him, and then you see behind him there in Latin, what that says is, in the words of John, later in John chapter 3, he must increase and I must decrease. Look back at him. Uh, I, I am so struck by that finger pointing away from him. We live in a time where when somebody looks at you, what you do is this. Yeah, you should look at me. I mean, think about social media. Isn't the whole point to increase the number of people 
looking at you. Right? Isn't that it? That's, that's the whole thing, to increase the number of people looking at you. Paul told Timothy this. Man, think about how convicting this is. Mark this, he said. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. That's not John, though. John says, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Look at him. The very next scene, if you come with me to John chapter 1, verse 29, look at this with me. You got to just see this. Uh, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming by, and John has a following at this point. He's got disciples of his own, and he sees Jesus coming by, and he says, whoa, 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 look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, there he is, right there. And immediately we're told that two of his followers, John's followers, stop following him, turn, and begin following Jesus right there on the spot. Um, I was trying to think of a way to imagine how absurd this is. Think about this. We're coming into a presidential uh, year, election year. Lord have mercy on us all. You're going to watch some presidential debates. Imagine you've got two candidates up here in this presidential debate. And they're talking about some foreign policy or taxes or something like that. I want, this, is, this is so unbelievable, you're, you're probably going to struggle to imagine it. But let's just imagine that a question is asked and one of those candidates answers the question and the other one looks at him or her and says, uh, I think they're right. I wish I would have thought of that. You know, y'all should probably just vote for them. You can't even imagine that. Okay, that's not the way the world trains us to think or to be. And John sees Jesus and he's like, hey, listen, guys, you should go with him. Okay, we know that humility is a virtue for the people of God. I think the question you got to ask about humility, like the kind John has, is how do you get that? And I think for John, what makes him so truly humble, don't look at me, don't follow me, look at him, follow him. What I think makes him so humble is that he sees the supremacy of Christ Jesus. Let me show you, there's this really, really cool wordplay. I'm going to, this is, I'm going to geek out about Bible stuff here. Look, look with me in verses 120 through 21. Let me just show you something. It's pretty awesome. John's response is when he's asked who he is, he says, I am not the Messiah. You see that? I am not the Messiah. He's asked again, are you Elijah? I am not. Are you one of the prophets? No. Okay. Look at those first two words, I am. What does that remind you of? What it should remind you is Moses at the burning bush when God appears to him and says, I am. It's the classic expression of God the Father, the one who is transcendent above all other things, that I am. I'm the source of all things. I'm it, is what he's saying here. And John uses that same phrase, but tacks on the end of it, I am not. 
Okay, so I'm not the one who was at the burning bush. That's not me. But you know what Jesus does is he takes that same phrase and he applies it to himself multiple times in the book of John. So let me just show you, seven times Jesus uses that phrase to talk about himself. And this is what he says. He says, I'm the bread of life in John chapter six. What he's saying is I give to you what no one else can give to you. And what I give is the only thing that can make you alive. He says in John chapter eight, I'm the light of the world. In other words, I penetrate a world of darkness and I can guide you in a way nothing else can. He says, I'm the door or I'm the gate. And if you wanna enter into the Father's kingdom, it's going to be through me, nobody else. He says, I'm the good shepherd. You wanna know why I'm the good shepherd? Because a good shepherd, do you remember, lays down his life for his sheep. That's what makes him good. He says, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, if you want a chance to outlive this life, you are going to need me. I'm your only hope for that. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, in this world where so much is unclear and you struggle to know what is true, you can count only on me. And then he says, I am the true vine. And so remain in me. Stay connected to me because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. So the Messiah is so much more than we are. And it's only when you see that, that you are freed from feeling like you have to be the Messiah. And you see that he alone is worthy. That's what makes you humble. It's his supremacy, Lord over all things, greater than me in every possible way that reminds me of who I am and who I'm not. We talk about identity a lot with our young people. You know, our vision is to build up the next generation. Well, a big part of that is knowing who you are. But a big part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Paul says in Romans, he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. That's a fundamental thing about following Jesus is not to think about yourself more highly than you ought to. Like what my mom said, I, can, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. Um, so the world says um, <clears throat> that you should think about yourself a lot. You should love yourself. You should value yourself. I think all those things are true, right? But the trick to true joy is not actually to think about yourself more. It's to think about yourself less. And the way to do that is to think about Christ more. Look at this, this is John chapter three, it's, it's John the Baptist again. He has this encounter with Jesus. To this John replied, a person can receive only what's given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify. I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Well, that joy is mine and it's now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. 
What's he saying? He's saying when you go to a wedding, if you're, if you're one of the groomsmen or the bridesmaids, you don't care that everyone is not looking at you. You don't care. In fact, Lindsay tells me this. I don't know if this is true. Lindsay tells me this. She tells me that some brides choose ugly bridesmaid dresses <laughs> so that you'll look at her. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that. And the bridesmaids, yeah, they don't love the dress, but they don't care. Why? Because they want her to be celebrated. And what John recognizes in the coming of the Lamb of God is that the marriage of heaven and earth is happening right before his eyes. God who made us all is coming to be with us all in the person of Jesus. And that's what we should all look at because it is so much greater than looking at me, he says. And as he turns his gaze towards Christ and away from himself, and this is what surprises our world, what he's actually filled with is joy. That's what satisfies him. George Matheson, he was a, a blind Scottish preacher. He couldn't see. But he wrote this, and I want you to pay attention to the language of sight. This is what he says. He said, O oh Lord, as long as I am apart from you, I am self-satisfied because I have no standard by which to measure my low stature. But when I come near to you there for the first time, I see myself. In your light, I behold my darkness. In your purity, I behold my corruption. My very confession of sin is the fruit of holiness. Oh, divine man, let me gaze on you more and more until in the vision of your brightness, I loathe the sight of my impurity until in the blaze of your glory, which human eye has not seen, I fall prostrate, blinded, broken, to rise again a new man in you. Amen. What's he saying? He's saying the gift of Christmas is that if you actually see Jesus and see how supremely great he is, you see yourself more clearly. And that frees you from the endless cycle of feeling like you need to prove yourself to everybody else. Because, as John says, I am not the Messiah. I am not. Those words have been uh, like a balm to my soul. I am not the Messiah. What a gift, those words. And you think about it, um, and you're like, yeah, duh. Duh, you're not. But how often, I mean, you're going to go from here this afternoon, and your kid, your sister, your mom, somebody in your life is going to text you, and they've, they've got a problem. They're struggling. And immediately, you are going to feel like you need to do what? Fix it. Save them. Rescue them. Listen, I'm in ministry. I feel that every single day, that burden. I get it. I cannot tell you how much those what? Five words minister to my soul. Eric, you are not the Messiah. You are not. Lindsay and I got a text yesterday. It's from somebody who's really special to us. And um, years ago, uh, she lost somebody really close to her. And the kind of loss that you carry with you the rest of your life. 
And we don't talk often with her, but she reached out kind of out of the blue, and I was so glad to hear from her, and we, we were shooting texts back with her, and we said, well, how are you doing? And she said, I'll be honest, not good. This season has been a struggle, just like so many other seasons have been. It's just we're struggling. And I wrote back, I said, I am so sorry. And I said, I wish I could fix that. Do you know that feeling? I wish I could fix it. And I do. I would do anything in the world if I could take away her grief. If I could take away her grief, I would do it. And I can't. And so I didn't know what else to say, so I texted her one of my favorite passages. This is Romans 15, 13. And I text her, may the God of hope fill you with peace and joy as you trust in him. And then I get the dot, 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 (laughs) dot, dot, dot. I know she's texting back. And she sends back a picture. And the picture is she's a school teacher, a vase, a flower vase on her desk at school that her students had brought her that morning that had on the flower vase Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with peace and joy as you trust in him. She said, Eric, I got this vase for my students this morning. It was just a reminder. I don't have to save her. My only job, my only job is to point her to the one who can. That's it. That's it. That's it. I just point her to the one who is the Messiah. Let me pray over us. God, I am so, so grateful, so, so thankful for your son, Jesus, our Messiah and King. I'm thankful that as we look at him, we see not only our deep need for him, our sinfulness, our impurity, our desire and need to be cleansed and freed, but we also see freedom from that feeling we have to be the Messiah ourselves. Free us from that, God. Let us trust in you. And may our whole lives simply point to your son, Jesus. And I pray in his mighty name. Amen.